What's up, guys? On this episode of Blood, Sweat, and Gear, we talk about training a large body part. Should you open up with a compound lift or an isolation movement? After that, we've got a bunch of listener questions. DC training and high-intensity training for older guys. Dealing with post-contest food cravings. Bridging your super supplements between two contests. Hit cardio during prep and a bunch more. Listen, guys, Skip's been coaching for over 20 years. Andrew's been coaching for 13. I'm just behind him. So the reality is we've literally helped thousands and thousands of people get into awesome shape. That's not bragging. All that is is to tell you guys that we've got a lot of experience, and we're here today to share that experience with you so that you can learn something, hopefully apply it to your own bodybuilding, and hopefully be entertained at the same time. Hope you guys enjoy the show. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear. I'm here with Skip Hill and Andrew Barry. I'm Scott McNally. Uh, all of our programming is brought to you by... Could that, I got a skip a team skip shake here. True Nutrition. Uh, you can use nice. our code THINK for some additional savings. And shout out to all of our Patreon people. I think I've got a Patreon question. We'll make sure we tackle that today. Um, Andrew pulled together a bunch of questions for us, Skip. Like, he did all the legwork for this one. Well, I'm. I appreciate the work. To be honest with you. <laughs> so by work, I haven't done you anything. Mean yet. Is I, I, I asked a question. I did one of those question things in Instagram and got like thirty responses within, uh, I don't know, two hours or so. And then I just rapid fired over to you. So nice. my fingers are sore. <laughs> so we're gonna tackle all those questions. They're all really good questions. A lot of you know bodybuilding, building related stuff. Like a lot of a lot of um. I'd say almost like prep ask questions and some some topics we haven't talked about before. Uh, obviously, Skip has been coaching for over 20 years. Andrew and I have been doing this for a really long time. Andrew, you're you're part of uh, you're part of the the Mountain Dog crew as well, aren't you? Yeah, I worked with uh, John on the website for about 13 years. You can see a lot of um, my client features on the in the trenches section and some of my articles as well. Right on. Yeah, I, I kind of want to always, you know, say that kind of stuff at the beginning of the show in case people are tuning in and they don't know who we are. Because uh, there's a lot of random people on YouTube that will, like, just tell you exactly what you should do. But you shouldn't necessarily listen to all of them. There's that. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, Skip, your topic I thought was solid. I thought this was a good place to start. Um, how should we put this? working out starting with either a an isolation movement or a compound movement um i want to hear what you guys have to say because i could really go either way on this one i'd say both if i could that was my topic yeah you you came up with that oh, like out of open that yeah 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 i'm like I'm, okay i'm lost. literally like yeah. five minutes ago you told okay, us. Okay, here's was here's the topic. argument. Yeah, because I'm thinking when you brought it up, I, I couldn't remember. Okay, like, That's a good so one. when you open a muscle group, yeah. <clears throat> it's always been said, or kind of like the old school rule is, you know, you always open with a compound movement because that's when your strength is the biggest. And, and you know what? I got to be careful how I phrase that because I'm not knocking that approach because that approach works. What I'm saying is the question is basically, do you open with an isolation movement or a compound movement and why because which one do you think is better and because it's my topic then i throw it to you guys <laughs> hmm. then i can go last we'll throw it to andrew what's up man what do you think i think it depends on the body part um yeah. 
for, for starters, I'm never, and I did this when I was a kid, I would go into the gym and on leg day, I would do squats first and then leg press and then leg extensions, leg curls and all that other stuff, lunges circa 2004 or five, I started doing hamstring curls first. I started sometimes doing leg extensions first and then moving into my squats or my hack squats or my, you know, compound, you know, prime mover exercises. Um, a, I think it warms up the tissue. Um, I would rather hurt myself on do, doing a hamstring curl, you know, with lighter weight than 500 pound squats, you know, which could keep you out of the gym for months versus weeks. Um, so yeah, I find like warming up your knees, warming up the tissue you work in, warming up your hips, warming up your lower back. Um, all those things are very important. Um, when it comes to, let's say other body parts, like maybe, you know, push muscles, chest, shoulders, I tend to kind of go the other way. As long as my shoulders are good and warmed up and my pecs are warm, I'm going to start with a pressing movement first. It doesn't, um, I typically won't start with a barbell, but I will definitely start with a press, whether it be a dumbbell or a machine press, and then maybe move on later on to like a, a barbell exercise. So I totally think it, you know, to, to sum it up, I think it totally depends on the body part you're working. Does that mean I got to go? Scott? My turn. Oh, well, you can go if you want. I, <laughs> I wanted to go last, but yeah, here's my thought, man. I it, it's one I can't directly say it's always this way or it's always that way, because um, I'll tell you what. Now, in the past, when I first started training, I followed that same thing, you know, say, say bench press, start with my chest presses, be as strong as I could. And, and the other part, part of it was also like an ego thing where if I were to do, you know, a pack deck or a fly first, that may take away from like five pounds that I could have gotten on the bar. And God forbid that I did a little bit less weight. <laughs> the issue for me in that instance was that um, my technique sucked and I was pressing with my shoulders and uh, I went through my all the way through my first contest. I came out of that. And I was like, yeah, my shoulders look great. They're round, but my chest, it doesn't have that same, you know, that same shape to it. And from there I started training with my coach and he always pre-fatigued chest. So each time we trained chest every week, we would start with the pack deck and we would hit it hard. Like we'd go hard on the pack deck. And then from there we'd go to the flat barbell press and my chest grew that year. I mean, part of it was that I consistently trained with my coach, I think. And, uh, you know, I was progressive with what I was doing, but I think part of it was that I, I was getting blood in those muscles and it was helping me to better activate the pack. Um, I don't do that anymore on chest. I'm with you, Andrew, that for me at this stage, I can get a good enough activation out of the pec muscles that I like most of the time to go straight into a compound movement. Not every time though. You know what I mean? I feel like you can, it doesn't have to be one way or the other, you know, maybe, maybe for, for a few weeks, maybe I'm doing really, maybe for like two months, I'm just killing it, opening up with my dumbbell incline press. And then maybe I want to change things up. Then maybe I do some sort of fly movement first just to do something different. And I, I, I don't think that that hurts legs. I'm a big fan of, of doing some isolation work first. I feel like for me, that does help me get more blood in the muscle. Uh, you know, we mentioned uh, John Meadows just a minute ago, watching his videos and listening to him. He talked about 
you know, religiously doing hamstring curls before he squatted. Uh, I feel like that's helped my knees a lot. Um, I don't think it has to be. So I'm not, man, I, I can't, I, I, I think it's popular. It would be, it would, it would sell better if I could say it was specifically black and white, but at least for my training and in my experience, I'd say it's not, I'd say it, it it's situational. And if you have a good reason for doing what you're doing, then that's the right answer. I don't know. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with what both of you said. My situation's a little bit different because I'm older. Um, and it, because of that, you know, I've had, I think I've had more injuries. I mean, just because I'm older doesn't mean I've had more injuries, but I still think I'm safe with that. I think I beat both of you, I'm pretty sure. So between lower back issues and things like that now, of course, knee and stuff. The last couple of years, though, I have switched to almost exclusively. I mean, I got to the point where I just feel more comfortable and confident opening with an isolation move. Now, much like you guys early in, you know, back in the earlier days, you know, you started with the power move because you wanted as much strength as you could. You didn't want to, you almost didn't want to warm up too much either because God <laughs> forbid if you warmed up too much, that might give away a rep or two as well, which is ironic um, because if you're not fully warmed up, then, you know, the muscle doesn't basically work as efficiently. I mean, you know, if I, I don't want to get into that cause that's a different, thing. but the point is, is you still need to, if you warm up well, the muscle will work better and you'll typically be strong. You'll have more control. You won't feel like, I don't know if you guys ever did this, but if I didn't warm up enough, I would, even though it didn't look like it, it would feel like the bar was going a little left, a little right, that sort of shit, even though it may look like it was going straight. You know what I mean? It's just not that yeah. fluid feeling. And when you're plenty warm, it always, or almost always feels very fluid and, and the, the movement feels right. So it doesn't matter for me, the exercise, or I'm sorry, the muscle group, I always open with an isolation. So on triceps, as an example, I am not comfortable going to an like an overhead or maybe not an overhead, but like a lying tricep extension without first doing press downs. Um, I won't, I, shoulders aren't as bad because I train shoulders after chest. Mm, yeah. So they're pretty much warm when I get ready to go, but I still will not press right out of the gates. I'll do side laterals first. That, but same thing with chest. I'll either open with a cable fly, a pec deck fly, a pec machine, something to that effect. Same with back because you might people might wonder, well, then what do you do for back? Because you can't really isolate. What I do with lats is, or back is I tend to focus more on lats. And I try to get what's called, I call them pull through reps. But basically what that means is I use a lighter, let's see, like a movement that I can use a lighter weight that I can get a really strong contraction in my lats. So here's an example of one of the exercises I really like. When you use a double pulley, they, they have those units that have double pulleys, but they're not the cable crossover. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You can, it's like yeah. one little unit by itself. Yeah. I put yeah. them up, not straight up, but just slightly out in like a Y. And then I do lat pulls with that so that they pull down and in almost in a wide, not a wide Y, but in a slight Y position. And what that does is it's isolateral. So I always want to make sure because you touched on activation, I think, Scott, and that's what I'm looking at as well. I want everything activated equally left to right. Yeah. And if I start light and I have real strong contractions on both sides, all of my isolation work will be obviously, I guess, but it's isolateral. Um, I, and when I say obviously, it isn't always that way because it, there are those pec fly machines 
that aren't isolateral. You could pull with the left and the right would move right along with it. You guys yeah. know what I'm talking about, right? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, for me, I, I make sure that it's isolateral, that it is that I have to balance it out each side. That way I don't go in and I don't know if you guys have ever done this or not, but it's something that happened on and off with me for years is if I moved up too quickly in weight, when I progressed at the beginning of a workout, I would feel one side working a little bit more than the other. Now, it could have been a warm-up issue or whatever, but it still came back in my mind to an activation issue. So mm. if anybody's listening and they think, oh, well, sometimes I feel it on the one side and I don't, if it's almost or it can be that the side that you don't feel as much may not be activated in the sense that let's say you're doing a dumbbell press or a barbell press. You have, because it's a compound movement, you have other muscles that can not necessarily take over, but they can do a little bit more of the work. You can twist a little bit. Your elbow can be a little bit cocked. And I mean, I'm talking a little bit like visually, you almost can't see it. And that will can allow the, you know, the front delts work more or the lat to work more on that side. And that's why since I've been doing the isolation work and making sure I'm fully active, I don't have even a, a small semblance of any type of imbalance when it comes to activation or feel when I get to the compound movement. There's one more thing that I think is important with it too. And that is, I do believe, and this is where my age comes into play in injuries. I think it puts you in a less vulnerable position for injury because your main muscle that you're training is already warm when you're getting to, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of blood in there. You got a good pump by the time you get to your heavier compound sets. So then the secondary muscles have to take over a little bit, you know, a little bit more. They have to work a little bit harder, but I think you're less prone to an injury. As an example with pecs, I think you'd be hard pressed to tear a pec. If you, if you did cable flies first, got a really good pump and were really warm and then went to bench, even if you were benching relatively heavy, I think the likelihood of tearing a pec is incredibly decreased, much like John was saying about doing hamstring curls before of that nature. I think, I think you're just warmed up better. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So well, I am. I'm black and white on that. Well, let me ask you this, though. So, and, and to, to your point, actually, because I think I know what you're going to say. Um, let's say we're talking about a leg workout and you're doing some type of isolation, whether you're doing leg extensions and leg curls or just leg curls before. Do you feel better when you move on to the next exercise, whether it's a leg press, a hack squat, some type of squat? Do you feel better? Like, just Always. like everything just feels like it's moving better. What, what yep. was that? Absolutely. Always. Yeah. Absolutely. Always. Like, 100%. Like, yeah. Like what? Sometimes I'll go in and I'll just get on a hack squat just to do a couple reps with like no weight on it. And it just doesn't feel good. Like it doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. I, it would take me like 10 warm up sets to get to a weight that right, I would yeah. even consider working right. versus, you know, and I think the other thing we need to talk about is the neurological um, I was just uh, activation that, as well. Man. I agree. That, that, oh, I think sorry, that's, no, 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 no. That, I think that's it. a big factor. I agree. Yeah. Like your body and your brain are engaged in the work that you're doing now with that other stuff, especially if you're doing hard sets and not just going through the motions and warming up, you know? Um, yeah, I, I couldn't imagine at this point in my life going and doing a, like putting a bar on my back and squatting yeah. like that just wouldn't happen first. Like I don't even think I could do two plates with it. You know what I mean? Well, think yeah. about like back, you know, Tommy Styles and I talked about this when we talked about our back training and both of us start with a pull down. And then we go to a compound row and that compound row is going to be, that's like the meat and potatoes, the hard work that we're doing for the day. 
but I couldn't imagine going to that bar, like a barbell row or the heaviest dumbbell row I can handle. And that being the first thing I would never get as much out of that if I hadn't have done the pull downs first and the pull downs, they take, it takes less, but it gets you, you know, it takes like less psychologically. Uh, it takes less physically really too, even at your best, you know, but it gets you, it gets you ready for it. You know, and that's a, you just said something that I think is important. You said it gets, gets you ready for it. I have a hard time, even though I've trained for 37 years, walking into the gym and just, if I, if I was to benefit more from jumping in, like Andrew's saying, and squatting, even though I've trained for so long, it's an effort to get your brain locked in where, yeah. yes, you have the warm-ups and everything else, but when you actually get – I can use that isolation movement as a – as a time to get my brain locked in. I'm feeling everything. I'm making sure everything feels good. And you know, you can feel good for a few workouts and then boom, or a few warmups and then boom, something doesn't feel right. So it gets me further in and it kind of slowly brings my brain into where I want it to be before I'm into those heavier sets. You were talking about rows. I won't row these days because of my lower back, and I admit that, but I won't row until my last exercise. Scott, you and I were talking about bench pressing. You said, I think you don't bench. I will still bench on occasion, but I'll do it last. That always trips people out because they're like, oh my God, why are you going to do it last? I'm going to do it last because it's shot at that point, and then I can bring my shoulders in, you know, the the secondary work or whatever auxiliary work, whatever, not auxiliary, but secondary work basically. And let the shoulders help a little bit more to continue to fatigue the chest along with the lats and the, um, you know, the triceps and everything else. Shit. If I start out, I tell you what, you don't think your triceps are doing much when you bench press, even with a bodybuilding bench press, don't train for two weeks and come back in and open up your chest workout with bench press and hit it and hit it hard and then go home and tell me your tries aren't sore as shit the next day. Only, only slightly less than your chest. I mean, it, oh, yeah. there's a lot of work being done there on these secondary muscle groups in these compound movements. So and lower back, huge when it comes to rows, T-bars, barbell rows, uh, dumbbell rows. If you're not bracing yourself or lying on an incline, see my old ass will lie on an incline bench and do dumbbell rows on that and then still go to t-bar rows or something so that my back is as fatigued as it can get but then my lower back will just be warm and it'll it'll still be relatively fresh Mm -hmm. those are the things old guys do (laughs) i feel like tell me if you guys agree with this because skip you said there isn't really an isolation exercise you can do for back and then you explained what you do i I think that a pullover would be close. What do you think? Well, when, when we say isolation, are we talking like isolating just the lats versus the teres versus yeah, supersquenatas? Well, I guess your teres are going to get involved in that too, because, aren't they? Well, yeah. So yeah. because, yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting question because I think almost all back movements they're not compound in the same way that like a squat is compound or a bench yeah, press right, is compound, right, but, right. but they're like, they are quasi compound, you know, like, yeah, like mm-hmm. I don't know of one exercise that just hits the lats. That's what I was trying lats, to think you know, of that, after you said right. that skip. And I've, now you can yeah. change and activate with your hand position, whether you're mm. a pronated grip or neutral versus a supinated grip. Uh, maybe mm. even some argue about the width of the grip you're using. 
Um, and you know, whether you're really actively trying to pull your elbow, you know, to your waist versus like just rowing like high. Yeah. You can change maybe a little bit of activation, but you know, we all know that like a muscle either fires or it doesn't fire. And I think especially in some of the, most of these exercises we're talking about, you're, you're going to get a couple muscle groups to fire. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I was trying to think of something and yeah, I couldn't. Skip. Maybe like the shrug, <laughs> you know, a shrug a yeah. shrug's like an isolation exercise, you know? Um, yeah, there you for go. your trap. So, though you are getting a little bit of rhomboids in it, depending on your angle. Um, yeah. So yeah. we uh, we got to move forward to our questions because I know we've got a lot of them, and I wanted to mention, Skip. Did you notice Andrew's face today? Like he's he's pulling in a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's pulling in a little bit. Yeah, I noticed it. How uh, how far out are you now? Uh, Twenty days. Ooh, it's getting close. Yeah, nice. we're getting there. It's getting close. Like I was telling <laughs> you, I think I think I'm probably about ten days away from being ready. Nine or ten days, just you know, knowing how things work and what I'm doing right now. So uh, yeah, so twenty days, and you know, feeling like you should at twenty days out, just doing the work. Nice, nice. I'm excited, man. Let me see what we got here. I'm gonna wait, 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 wait. What my my. Face is not pulling in too. I mean, seriously, you're only going to give Andrew. The, it's been a week. It's been one week. I feel like I'm so much leaner. You're dieting? Well, relative to what I've been doing for the last two and a half months, fuck yeah. Bag a family size bag of Doritos every night is a diet. <laughs> it's not the right. You, uh, didn't you eat a uh, salad this week? Oh, I do. I did have my salad. Just <laughs> how'd you know that? I did yesterday. I yesterday was my salad uh, Saturday on your Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> I love salads. Uh, oh, you know what it was? No, that was a that was a client who was just here last weekend and Devin and he started doing salad Saturdays too. So, when my clients send me stories, then I share them. So that's probably what you saw. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, okay. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thanks for watching another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. And thank you to our great sponsor, TrueNutrition.com, for making this all possible. TrueNutrition.com is owned by Dante Trudell, the creator of DC Training. He wanted to create a supplement company that offered high-quality third-party tested supplements at a fair price. High-quality protein powders, just about every type you could think of. Huge variety of flavors, plus health and performance supplements. Check them out, TrueNutrition.com. And hey, if you use our code ADVICES, you directly support our podcasting. Thanks, guys. Let's get back to the program. All right. I'm going to start here <laughs> first. This is uh, this is from Patreon, as a matter of fact. So shout out to everybody who's uh, who's been supporting the network on Patreon. I really appreciate you guys. And listen, I'm going to be uh, completely transparent. You know, I... We've been doing this podcast for like what six six years now, Skip five six years, and uh, I was I was reluctant to start a Patreon because there's that voice in your head that tells you, "What if nobody supports it?" Like, you know what I mean? I'm gonna be completely. You don't lose anything if they don't, though. Yeah, but think <laughs> about it, man. You're like, you know, or we started the YouTube, and it's like, well, what if we don't get people watching the videos? It's like. There, there's that thing that stops all of us from trying to do shit in our lives that would mm -hmm. that would be a good idea. So I'm being completely transparent that I was even today, even though that we've had, you know, we've had so many awesome followers for a long time listening to the shows. I was nervous about starting a Patreon 
And I want to say thank you because we have uh, 21 people that are on the Patreon now supporting us. And you guys all freaking rock. And I am so grateful that you appreciate our shows. Uh, and with that said, we had a question. So says so a question for uh, you and the rest of the Blood, Sweat, and Gear crew. Uh, what do you think about growing on high-fat, high-protein, low-carb diets? Is it possible? Are there any decent bodybuilders that follow this type of diet? Uh, do you guys have any clients that follow this approach? Some that has seen, uh, someone that has seen lifting for a long time, uh, not newbie gains. Uh, it seems like it would be easier to stay lean this way. I was just wondering if this style of eating would hinder muscle growth. And for some background, he says, I have no issue gaining weight. I put on weight easy and I put on fat easy. It seems like every time I increase my calories uh, in the form of more carbs, I just get fatter. Oh, what was that? Lightning? It's storming. Yeah. And because every, you know, my walls are glass, it's kind of bright. <laughs> so you might see some, you might see some light. I think I froze there for a minute. Yeah, in about 10 minutes, Andrew and I are going to have to do the show ourselves, I think. But I know, right? <laughs> can you can't get, you can't get like struck by lightning through a window, can you? No, you can't. We're that was the out. dumbest shit ever. No, forget I out. even said that. Edit that out, please. No. Go ahead, Andrew. You better answer this one. I got to get my brain straight. <laughs> what the fuck? Can you get struck by lightning through a window? All right. Oh my god. So the, so the question is: Do we? Ha do I or we have anyone following a high protein, high fat, low carb diet? Can you get big from it or grow? Was that was that just the question? Yeah. Can you grow? Yeah, but did he say diet? keto specifically or no? I'm he sorry. Say I totally no, I didn't say keto. So. Okay. Well, so I guess I would need to know like what their interpretation of low carb is. Like, mm, are we right. talking like right. maybe pre intra post only, and then the rest of the meals are protein, veggie, fats? Absolutely. I, I have yet to find someone that doesn't do well with that type of you know diet. But at some point, I think to get bigger, you do have to add calories, and typically it's easier to uh, add carbohydrates. I would maybe put someone on this, and, and do put someone on this if they're more of an endomorphic type, and they do tend to you know, really fill out those troublesome areas much faster, say, than other people, you know. I think, like, obviously, when we're talking about, like, getting big in the off-season, the ideal client or the, the ideal physique will put on body fat very evenly, you know, um, instead of just forming, like, you know, a bunch in the lower lower back or a bunch in the glutes right. or hips for the ladies, you know, guys, abdominals and, and, and lower back straps. Um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that diet plan. I don't. I don't get dogmatic about anything and just subscribe to high carb, low carb or any, any of that. I, I, it's more of like a, let's start you out on something. And you know, if things aren't working well, then we'll make changes one way or the other. And if, you know, it's kind of like a game of, uh, what's it called? Um, like shoots and ladders or something. I think like where, you know, you start something, you go up one path and then you roll the dice and you know, you go up this path and then, Oh, that didn't work. So you go back to go or point a and, you roll the dice again, you go the other direction and, and see what's working. And in some sense, yeah, like, you know, the, the, this approach could absolutely work. For anybody 25 or younger, they like probably that. don't even know what shoots and ladders is, I bet. That's a very good point. That is, <laughs> it was an odd reference from Andrew because he's so young. I said, like, oh, shoots and ladders. Oh, okay. Um, dogmatic, I like that. <laughs> I know, I keep saying and, that. And, you know, you're like, and, and you like my vocabulary. 
How? Yeah, dogmatic. I was impressed. I was like, well, <laughs> dogmatic, but are you pedantic? I don't know. We'll check. Oh, but anyway, were you, were you how old are you, up? Andrew? Were you, were, you, were you looking it up, like what it means? <laughs> looking up? Uh, I'm 37. Dogmatic. 30, okay. No, I'm 37. All right. I had... Okay, I had you at. I thought you were maybe thirty four, thirty five, or something. The, the more, the leaner you, you look, get, the young, you look, younger yeah. you look. So, um, okay, here's. I don't like. I don't like black and white white rules, but to make my point, I like to treat carbs like this, and I think that this is a good way to approach it for most people. If you're taking in enough carbs, or you know you're taking in enough carbs, if you're fueling your workouts. You're staying relatively full. Maybe I should say not flat. So if if in doubt with your carbon take, especially if you're trying to lean, well, leaning down or growing, you can keep leaning down. But when you're growing, you want to make sure that you keep them not as low as possible, but low enough that you're not gaining body fat. I think that's what most people struggle with. They struggle with you know, like he was saying, when I add carbs, I gain body fat. So as long as you can keep your carbs high enough to fuel your workouts and to keep you from going flat, so relatively full, that's where I like to keep them. Now, if you're going into contest contest prep mode and you're just trying to strip fat, then you're going to be flatter. That's It's just a necessary evil. It just is what it is. But when you're growing, I don't think there needs to be this massive abundance or this this huge focus on carbs. And I'm not implying that you're saying that, Andrew. I'm just saying I don't think that there needs to be a focus on that. Are there people who are well-established in the industry who are very low-carb? There are some who are even borderline keto. And when I say keto, I mean like bodybuilder keto, not true keto. Because true keto, usually bodybuilders are not – not true keto. True keto is like ridiculously high fat and relatively or very, very low protein too. So bodybuilders, when they talk about keto, we have our own little version where it's modified. still higher protein. Exactly. A modified keto. So where the protein is much higher than what true keto would be because we're trying to build muscle, obviously, which is kind of a catch 22 because if you have too much protein and you're trying to stay in ketosis, then your body will convert protein. So it's kind of a sticky area. And Carbs are very valuable in sparing protein, so there's that component too. So I don't believe in going. This is just me personally. I've seen it work. Um, Dorian is a good example. Now, I don't know if his approach within the last year or so has been to take in more carbs because maybe, you know, Dave and them switch it. But I think if I remember correctly, and Dave can correct me or you can if you know that because maybe you've spoken to Dave about this or Dorian, but he was very, very lower, lower than most when it came to, to carbs. I'll text him. I'll so ask. Dorian would be a good, yeah, exactly. Dorian would be a good example of someone who you know had progressed quite well with that approach, and there are many others. This is a very individual thing, though. So my advice would be to keep the carbohydrates, if in doubt, keep them or move them low enough so that you are still, you still have enough energy to train. You're still getting relatively good pumps and you're not going, you know, ridiculously flat. And then from there you can, you can tweak it from there. We'll yeah. I mean, we'll a big thing is making sure you're maintaining insulin sensitivity. So at some point Absolutely. that carb count is different for, it's different for everybody, you know, like sure. we, we probably all had some freaks that can eat 600 grams of carbs a day, hundred grams of carbs a meal and stay very insulin sensitive. You, you check their glucose and they're 86 when they wake up every morning, they're losing body right. fat. Um, and then we also have other people where, you know, half that, um, 
you know, they lose their sensitivity very quickly. They start to go flatter despite eating more. They're not getting yes. pumps in the gym. Um, to me, to me, that's a huge sign that your insulin sensitivity is failing is if you go to the gym and you're doing two or three movements and, you know, things just aren't, you're not getting blood to the tissue. You're not getting the muscles uh, pumping properly. Um, at that point, I would definitely maybe do like a, a very low carb, uh, you know, uh, stint for a few weeks to really regain that insulin sensitivity and, and get them pumped again. I think you're, you're absolutely. And that's on. part of being a free. Go ahead, Scott. Oh, well, I, I was just going to say, I feel like that's a really important part of this too, that you're not just strapped to one idea all the way mm -hmm. through. So it, 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 it is something that's fluid. So kind of like you had said initially, Andrew, that like, you know, you, you watch, you, you shoots and ladders, which I actually, I, it was a, over my head too, because I never played that game. I know what it is. It might, it might not be the right game. Okay. okay. Might, I just threw out a game. That, it like, made sense though. Oh. I figured it out. Like I knew, I knew what you meant, but it's, it's almost like, um, you know, that you, you try something and maybe it works for a while. And then maybe you start saying, eh, these carbs are a little bit high, you know, or, it, you know, another aspect is, is, is where's your body fat when you start that blast? You know what I mean? If you can True. get yourself, even if you are in, and you know, tech, what we would call an endomorph, if you start it from a really lean place, then you've got, you know, a good amount of room to grow and you got to figure, yeah, I'm going to get, you know, some body fat in the process, but you know, maybe you push it for a little while and then you dial it back for a little while. And, you know, cause it's never, it's never just like a straight line. Like now we're in the off season and in 20 weeks, you know, we are going to have gained X amount of pounds. It can be, you know, gain a little, pull it back, gain a little, pull it back. And I think that those people that are more sensitive, you got to be, it, it's not as, it's not as like maybe somebody who's very like has the wiry disposition and it's hard to get them fat. Then you can just like keep piling it on. But a guy like that, it might be a little bit more touchy and it's probably not going to be a consistent diet for this, the whole 20 weeks of just adding, 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 you know. I think it's part of the freak mode, too, and part of the genetic predisposition. You know, you're not going to find pros. Andrew touched on this earlier. You're not going to find very many pros who have a trouble area. Yeah, they carry body fat relatively evenly, not not only head to toe, but front to back as well. It's one of a myriad of of variables that makes them a pro. And the other one is insulin sensitivity. Yeah. You know, you see the diets of some of these pros who are big, big sons of bitch and they eat. You know, people will tell me all the time, well, I got to eat a ton to get big because that's what the big guys do. Well, first they built into that and you can't just like you can't mimic the training of a pro. Uh, you can't go in and train like Branch Warren and think you're going to grow like Branch Warren. You also can't go in and have a diet like that because they are. That's one of the reasons one of a ton of them that they're a pro because they can eat a ton of fucking carbs and still remain insulin sensitive much, much longer than the rest of us mere mortals can. Yeah. So I think sometimes carbs are, they're overrated and, and when, not that you don't need them, but there's too much emphasis put on them in a, in a bulk phase or in a growing phase. Um, you know, he, he, as far as the insulin sensitivity goes, that doesn't necessarily have to mean, I mean, it's a, it can, it's a good indicator most of the time, but you can still be insulin sensitive and not be gaining fat. So when people say, well, I, and a lot of people will say this, you guys have heard this a lot. When I, anytime I add carbs, I get fatter. There is some truth to how that can happen because of the insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance. But 
the carbs shouldn't make you fatter. It's almost certainly the majority of the time, it's just that you've added those those added calories in the form of carbs. Had you added them as fat, you probably would have been pretty much the same amount of, you know, gain fat is if you did yeah. the carbs. I agree. So I agree. 100%. Yeah, it's a calorie. That is the, yeah, that's the part that's a calorie game. And then people will say, but Skip, you always say it's not just a cat. It's not, but there are some arguments and some things that happen that it is more focused just on the calories than, than the actual macro. Is it- if you're getting fat, then you, you're absolutely adding too many calories, period, whether it's proteins, carbs, fats, whatever. Like if you're right. getting fat, you know, I mean, if you are, th- there's other situations where you can say, well, maybe I need to pull back on one macronutrient or the other. But in this situation, like you're talking about, you're just adding too many calories. Absolutely. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was it, you guys remember, I think Stan Efferding had it like a real high protein fat type diet, didn't he? Vertical diet, right? Uh, I can't remember. He does the vertical diet. What is that? It's yeah. not super high protein. No, it's not that. I'm thinking uh, of someone else. Uh, I know Chad Nichols was really big on high protein. Okay. I know Dave Kalick uses it, and he's actually said, uh, speaking of Dave, I'm, he didn't message me back. He might be busy. But he said uh, in the past he was saying, like, that, that uh, if you can't push the carbs, he's like, protein is a lot less likely to make you fat than carbohydrates would be. So let's not forget that you you could increase there. And, yeah, some of that might start spilling over into, you know, create you know create ter- converting to carbs. But – he said that he feels that that adding more protein would be less damaging to insulin sensitivity than adding carbs. Not saying that that's what he always does, but that, you know, I guess I just want to point out too. his thought is like, hey, don't forget, we could play with protein as well. And but that's a that position that makes- he that he has to take too. don't. I, I think you guys would agree. He has to take that position. As far as think about it, if he's relatively low carb and I'm assuming he is. So I may be wrong, but let's just assume for the You're sake of about conversation. Dorian. Yeah, Dorian yeah, and I, Dave, Dave in general. Let's yeah, just, Dave was just speaking in well, general, not about Dorian. Sure, there. but let's just say he has a client, and we'll call him Dorian, that does have <laughs> low carbohydrate intake or lower than, say, most. He would almost have to have a higher protein intake because the demands of his training have to pull from somewhere. So he's pulling from some of that extra protein yeah. and converting it. To, to glucose instead of actually taking in the carbs that would because it's not a very efficient process it probably is less likely that you're going to potentially gain body fat that way um be, because you're just not eating an excess of carbohydrate but at the same time that's what i was talking about with the carbohydrates sparing the protein if you have enough carbs then you don't need to have the really high protein so if you have high carbs and you have high protein then you just have too much of of both yeah i guess that seems obvious but nonetheless i feel like i have to say it (laughs) all right i'm gonna move us forward because we have a boatload of questions here um what's your thoughts on dc for older guys i know dante says on intense muscle that over 34 years old should push their rest pause sets up a bit uh, 11 to 15 or 16 to 20, et cetera. Uh, but it's more a question about whether you think DC is a good program for guys 40 plus, uh, or it plus whether, excuse me, whether just straight sets may be less brutal on our older bodies. 
He's 43, currently nearly 44. And this dude is intense. Like, I want to tell you guys, if I could pull up a set for, of his right now, he's one of those guys that you watch that set and you know that like 90% of the people you watch on Instagram would have stopped at this rep, but then he gets another one and then he gets another one and then he gets like five more and you're like, fuck yeah, I want to train right now. That's, that's who this is. Can you put the question back up? The last, the last part of it, I didn't yeah. catch. Um, he says, less brutal. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Now I'm good. All right. You you want it, Andrew? Um. Yeah. Sure. I mean, as someone that's done DC, I think it's obviously Dante's the authority on DC, and I would uh, defer to him on this when he says, "Yeah, older guys should go." And he's coming from a standpoint of you're going to be less likely to injure yourself. And we all know that as you get older and older, you are more prone to injuries. All of us have had injuries. We're all older than 30. Some of us are older than 40. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just, you know, it's a safety thing that still allows us to progress. Um, from personal experience, I really enjoy DC training. I actually, and I know I, I hate telling people to modify it because, I would, I'm also saying, you know, defer to Dante and exactly as he says to do it, but I have found the best success in doing DC with just doing, uh, two rounds versus the three rounds in the rest pause sets. Um, hmm. I find that for my body in particular, you know, if I'm trying to go, whether it's 11, 15 or the, you know, 16 to 20 rep ranges, I do really good for that first and second. And then the third round, I just have nothing where I'm, I'm barely getting one rep sometimes. And where, hmm. where the, you would think that, you know, let's say I'm getting like, 12 reps on the first and then like six reps on the second. And then the fall off is just down to like one, maybe two Hmm. uh, where I would be expecting like a three or maybe even a four. Um, So my point is that I, 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 I use it still and, but I've modified it a little bit for how my body reacts to it. And I'm really good for those first two. And, and that's where I keep it um, instead of adding a third round in. It's funny you say to modify it too, because, I've tried it a ton of different ways and the best gains that I ever got out of it was when I only went to failure and did a forced rep. I would find myself overtrained. I mean, I tried the, the normal way to do it. I tried like you did Andrew by only basically going with the two sets and it would, after roughly three weeks, it would just bury me. So when I was able to cut back to only one, and I remember thinking, God, this is already so low volume. Anyway, I didn't want to cut back, but I was playing with this right around, oh, three, four, five. And man, did I have some really, really good gains. The age component that he's bringing up, though, again, this is an individual thing because I I don't know about you guys, but I can't go back. I've tried to go back to it twice, and I I can't do it. It's too... It's just too hard. Me personally, it's just too hard on my joints. It's too hard. Um, I end up and I know Dante hates this because I'm not in any way saying that DC training is bad. It's great. It, it helped me make some really, really good gains. Some of my best gains during that two to three years that I used it in the early two thousands, but it did, but I did have a lot of minor, injuries at that time and it felt like i would go two steps one step forward two steps back sometimes and it wasn't a form issue because my form has been meticulous from the first couple years i started training thank god 
it's it's just that you're going all out and you know you're going and you're just gonna bury yourself and I mean I, I remember the legs I will still go high reps because I still think that those widow makers are the most brilliant thing he ever came up with because so it forced people to look at the high rep range where you know out of maybe with the exception of John Defendus and his hundred rep or 50 rep sets that he was doing back then, nobody was really talking about these high rep, not just high rep sets, but high reps damn near to failure. Just you're going to fail and you can't get anymore. That is just some brutal, brutal shit. That is a very difficult way to train legs, but my legs, and when I say blew up, blew up relative for me during that time, probably the most. So there's a lot of takeaways there. The system itself, I think, is rock solid. The fact that he put together an added component for the, you know, for that age demographic being older, there's a lot of truth to what he says. But there are still going to be some people, and this is why I want the person who posted this to know this. There are some people that just it'll just be too intense. It just it, it just won't work for some people. It's just too much. And you'll either end up with minor injuries or God forbid, you know, major injuries. And I, I don't know that there've been any major, but I had a lot of minor nags. I mean, LCLs, you name it. And, and I finally had to say, I'm like, God, I just, I got to get more volume in here. I, I can't go. And it sounds kind of, it's hard to admit, but I can't go this, this hard. And I wasn't recovering. So that's just me. That's just my, that's just, you know, my opinion on it. I had a hard time getting that what, out. Apparently. I think, well, I think it also kind of relates back to the last question. It, it it makes a lot of sense to monitor what you're doing. You know, try something for a certain length of time. Monitor it, whether it's you doing it yourself or a coach is monitoring it with you, whether it's your diet or your yeah. training, yeah. and then assess. And and like you're saying, like it worked for a two three year period, but then the assessment was, man, I'm I'm getting my elbows hurt, my knees are hurting. Like this style of training just isn't overall effective for me anymore. I might love it; it might be what gets my brain activated, and, and I'm getting pumped up for it. But it's not the best thing for my bodybuilding overall. Right, right. Yeah, I found for me one of the biggest things was my central nervous system, and and this wasn't DC per se but this is just really focusing on progression in the last year. My central nervous system is what would get really jacked. And um, man, I, I'm bummed in a lot of ways that I got sick because I had, I had been pushing some of, not some of my best strength, but I'd been pushing my best strength ever in my forties and, um, and, and trying to figure out, you know, okay, so how do I deload this? How do I, how do I walk this line? Because like you were saying, Andrew, like this may be what really gets me excited in the way I, I love training, but maybe it's not the best for me. I feel like for me, I was just, I was finding a balance, you know? And uh, I, I think that for somebody that is going to do that in their forties, anybody else, I think that it's probably gonna take a lot more recovery time to not get hurt, you know? I mean, that goes with any training plan, right? As we age. Mm -hmm. But I think that like, if you're being progressive, you need to especially respect that your body's probably going to need, you know, additional time, just the, that central nervous system load alone, man, I would hit like, I would, I, I would hit that top set and do something that I had never done before. And the elation and like the feeling of well-being that I would get from that 
the rest of my fucking day was perfect. I don't care what happened. Mm. And then guess what? The next day I was wrecked, like literally wrecked. And when I really pushed it, it took a little while. Like, okay, it's going to take a few days before I feel okay. Maybe even like a few weeks of rebuilding this. And then I'd hit that peak again, you know, two, three weeks, three weeks later. I found it was about every three weeks I would hit this peak of something I felt like, man, I reached something brand new, best feeling in the world. But it, it was something I could only do so often. And I do feel like age made a big, a big factor in that. Well, so maybe you needed something more cyclical in the sense of like three weeks hard on and yep. then one to two weeks off, you know, um, that would be something to experiment with. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention that I, I actually experiment and use myself is I will use DC on particular body parts, but then not use it on other body parts. Huh, yeah. Like I don't really, I don't enjoy DC for my back. Um, you know, whether it's rest pause or the, or the straight sets in the, in the manner that Dante has, them, you know, has, has recommended, but I love it for my chest and my shoulder pressing movements, um, and my tricep pressing movements. So I will actually use it on say just push days for a streak. And then my back workouts and my leg workouts will be slightly different. Um, and, and I think kind of like with what you were saying, Skip, about, you know, if you just stick into the, the, the sets, the way they're written for the legs, yeah, your knees start to hurt or maybe it's your lower back or your hip or whatever the heck it is. I need, I need a little bit more volume to get to those heavy working sets. Mm. And maybe they're not as heavy as they would have been just doing that one straight set to failure, but they're within 10, 15%. And in my mind, that's definitely good enough. You know? Sure. You make a really good point about modifying it. And, you know, we were taught, especially back in the intense muscle days, you know, it was blasphemous to <laughs> change any component and, you know, you would be destroyed for doing I it. I still feel guilt. I still feel guilt <laughs> mentioning what I just did, like, because of but, the But here's the thing. I'm glad that you did because I'm going to add what I did, too, where I wasn't going to before because <laughs> I didn't want to admit We're it. We're going to lose our sponsorship but now. The reason I know, the reason, <laughs> that, though, the reason we can do that, though, is because we've been training so long and we're trained to read our bodies so well because we've been doing it for so long the average person who would do dc can't do that and especially the ones who weren't supposed to do it because they didn't have enough experience see dante was right i used to laugh and say it was a marketing ploy because if you tell someone that it's too advanced for them everybody wants it (laughs) you you know what i mean it's like you can't have it oh everybody else can have it but you you haven't gotten there yet it's kind of like the steroids no you have to keep not taking steroids. you're not ready for it yet well everybody (laughs) wants to take some shit you, you, you know that you're telling them they can't take so the the changing and the modifying of it is something that someone who's relatively advanced can do and you have to be advanced to be able to do that because otherwise you have to stay within the parameters. And then when you gain experience and you learn how to read your body, you can make those changes. One of the things I did was because my recovery wasn't as good, I would train my style of training, but every three, four weeks, I might do a week of DC training and then go back to mine. And that would give me that shock value. And that's why I think DC for those that don't, that can't handle the recovery and it is too brutal, instead of doing the program for a long period of time, you do it intermittently with the program that you're doing that you can tolerate better Mm, and that you can recover from and then throw it in. Now, Again, I'm totally taking DC training and f- bastardizing it, but there's it's such a good system 
that if you can make even components, smaller components of it work for your training, you're still utilizing his principles and his brilliance when he came to putting this all together. So that's my save right there. <laughs> well, I think you touched on it, the principles of progressively getting stronger at the movements, whether you're training DC style or a more volume style, progressing in some factor, whether it's more weight on the bar, more reps being done, uh, or even more right. total work being done in a workout. You know, mm -hmm. um, I think learning how to push yourself well, like in the sense that Scott uh, uh, described of the set that the, um, the the guy who asked the question, um, uh, the way he does his sets, like learning how to harness and get mentally into those sets so much that other people are like, oh, he's done. And then he does three more, you know, um, right. I, I think learning how to channel that intense intensity mentally and physically is, is a big component that I learned from D.C. And um, mm -hmm. uh, what was the other one? Um <laughs> Yeah, I just think that, like those main principles are, are are the most important things to gather from the program, regardless of what you're calling the program you're doing, volume or hypertrophy X Y Z or whatever, you know. All right, we're gonna have to move fast on the next ones because we have so many. Uh, and before we get there, though, I do want to throw in Dave got back to me. He says Dorian is more of a medium carb guy. He says higher fats, about 500 600 grams of carbs in the off season, but tons of whole eggs grass-fed beef, salmon, avocado, olive oil. Sometimes higher uh, a bit on carbs, but a lot of food density comes from the foods listed above. <laughs> All right. So kind of following up to uh, talking about DC, uh, what are signs that you should stop intensifying methods um, when you're on a prep? He mentions... Things like uh, oh, drop sets, but I guess any kind of intensifying methods. Ooh, I would first. One. Yeah, I mean, because I mean, we always like to use the mantra of like, don't change your training. The training that got you there is what's going to keep the muscle all the way through. But we do know that there is some point where everything just gets hard. And I would look at the program as a whole. Like, did his coach or himself like pull? you know, 20% of his calories one week and add, you know, an additional, you know, 20% cardio to the week, you know, the, the total stress and work that's being done on his body is him attempting a drop set and the stress of it going to be productive or is it going to pull, pull him more into a hole of that he can't get out of in terms of recovery. And is it going to lead to the exactly. next workout and the next workout he gets flatter. And, and, and I'm not saying like, don't you shouldn't be scared of going flat you know i think we all know the saying scared to go flat you show up fat the day of the show but <laughs> i think we know the difference right i mean but but i think yeah. if you're experienced enough you know the difference between how you're supposed to be flat during a prep and being so so flat that the muscles just not contracting um and yeah. it'll actually run the other way where you, you won't be sleeping properly you might even lose your appetite i know in, in prep you're supposed to be hungry but you might lose your appetite completely because your body mm -hmm. is just so stressed so those would be the indicators i would look for um but generally i would try to keep some of your intense stuff in maybe pull back the total volume overall but i would definitely try to keep those intense sets that you've been doing in uh, as long as you can, you know, I, I like to pull the hard, hard stuff 10 days out. Usually like my last hard leg day will be seven <laughs> to 10 days before the show. Um, and maybe even two weeks before, um, 
And then the last week of training is more like pump stuff. We're not doing drop sets that last week. We're not doing, you know, DC rest pause. We're, we're, we're just doing, you know, your typical four sets of 10 to 12, get some blood in the muscle. I, I call it like a, a, like a gym mirror workout. Like you're filling the muscles up, you're posing in between sets. Um, you know, so you look good and you kind of see what you're going to look like on stage, that kind of thing. Um, yeah. versus still attacking the weights the same way you were in those weeks prior leading up to that last week. That's just my take on it though. I'm going to throw something out there. I'm going to see what you guys think. I believe that the intensity should not be higher during a prep than it is in the off season. I think it should be relatively stable or the same. Now you can change your intensity techniques methods. Let's say, let's say I'm, I'm going to do it this way. If you're at this level of intensity going in and in the off season, when you're recovering really well and you're in a surplus of calories, then how in the hell are you going to be up here with intensity if you don't have as many calories and your caloric output is higher than it has been at any other point during the year? That would be my main question. Now, if you're going to keep it the same, let's just say you're keeping it's here and you want to keep it here and here going into a prep is you're going to failure with, you know, your big weights or anything else. If you're going to then do supersets or drop sets that are not going to be to failure to where you're pushing that intensity higher than, than what you're used to or that you're able to recover from, then okay, great. That could be the change or the cycle of training, you know, relatively heavy for a few weeks and then going into supersets or, or an added intensity component or technique. I think the only t- I don't do, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't do drop sets. I don't do supersets. I keep the same. I, it's just something that it's one of those things that I've always kept. You dance with the one that brought you. And I know that Dante said that years ago, but it's something that just log- logically makes sense. It's sensical. You you don't want to change too much of what, what got you there. So the only time that I, that I think it's a real good idea to really go balls out or even to take that intensity a little bit higher is maybe the last day or two before you're going to either refeed or you're going to have a cheat where you're going to take in more calories and usually a significant amount more than what you would normally take in. You know, with me, of course it's a skip load, but I don't think a cheat meal really even warrants you going balls out crazy and going above that intensity threshold. It would have to be, a, a substantial amount of calories to help you. And then maybe even a couple of days off to help recover too. So if you're going to increase that intensity threshold, you have to compensate in some other way. Otherwise, just as you said, Andrew, you're digging a hole that's going to get bigger and bigger. And if you ever get to the point, and I know I was there a few years ago because my mantra at that time was, I'm just going to outwork. I'm When in doubt, do more work. And I mean, yeah. there was a time I was squatting where, my le- my quads were cramping. They didn't want to contract and the strength had fallen off so much. I'm laughing at myself because I'm training six days a week, everything twice a week. And I just, I'm like, how fucking stupid you are paid to do this. You've been doing this for over 30 years and you're going to drive yourself into the ground. And I did. So if you get to the point where, you know, losing a bit of your pump is one thing you're, you're going to do that. You're going to fight for that. Here's what always, here's what I tell people with the pump. You, you should still get the pump, but it takes longer to get it. Yeah. You don't yeah, get it until feeling. you're halfway through a muscle. You see what I'm saying? Oh, muscle versus. Feeling. And it goes away. Yeah. And it goes yeah. away quicker. 
Yeah, yeah. If you take too long and you go over and you get a drink or you have to take a piss, you're going to be fighting to get that bitch back. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But I think sometimes what people do with the drop sets and supersets is they feel that initial increase in pump that they don't normally get from straight sets. So then that must mean to them, it's like they're processing going, that's what I need to get the pump. And that becomes their main focus when in reality, there's a point in no return because then next time you're going to be more depleted. So you have to try to do more or do it faster or less, less rest between sets to be able to, you're just, you're marrying the pump and it's, that's not the, that's not the best move. Okay, so remember how I was saying we got to like go a little faster, guys, on this? <laughs> yeah, we're totally ignoring <laughs> you're doing, you. You're doing terrible. You're doing terrible. I, I, I Andrew, Andrew and I are like, whatever. <laughs> you got, no, you're doing terrible, but you're just keep going then. Just keep going, Andrew. What do you got to say? No, because the, the, the thing is, is they, this is really good stuff, and it's, it, it, it's, it, it's really helpful. So it's like I really I can't stop you. The next one will go faster, though. The next one will be easy. What's up, What's up, Andrew? Now let's move on. Like nope. I think we beat this one. We don't want to talk now. One, <laughs> one caveat. One caveat, and, and it's actually more of a question to skip, I guess. So let's say you have a client. He's maybe your age, or you know, um, you know, thirty-five, forty, whatever, and he's a you know TRT guy, ninety percent of the year. But then he goes on for his prep. Would you advocate for him to turn up the intensity? Maybe add some of these techniques, even though he's going to be dieting and dropping calories. Good point, and I'm glad that you clarified because that would be the uh, that would be the exception, no question, because the recovery is going to go up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. Okay, that's what I thought. Yep. I yep. could add in the like I'll give you two minutes, and at the end of two minutes, here let me turn this down because I don't want it to like blow. <laughs> at the end of two minutes, skip. I'll be like, all right, and that is all. <laughs> <laughs> It'll work. It'll work. You bring that back, and I'm good. All right. <laughs> All right. We can go pretty fast on this one. Uh, use of metformin in the off season. Skip. I'm not a fan. Andrew. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think there's better ways to get the, uh, to get the job done. And uh, I think the side effects you get from it aren't worth it. Throw it away. So what That's would be where better? I am? What would be better then? Duh. <laughs> I mean, I, about, there's a whole host of sup, supplements you can use, whether it's berberine and other GDAs, or you could just eat less for a little while, maybe add some cardio in and, uh, you know, take care of the other uh, variables involved in our sport versus trying to take something to accomplish something. Now, maybe you're a severe diabetic and you type two and your doctor has put you on this for a particular reason. I would say absolutely listen to your doctor. Until you get to a certain point, let's say, you know, you get on a diet and a training program, you're working with somebody, you drop 30 pounds, 40 pounds. Let's see if we can take you off that and move you to uh, natural supplements and continue your your training program and continue the effects that we're getting uh, without the metformin. Very good point, because really, if we're being honest, if you have type 2 diabetes and you're training and you're listening to this podcast, you shouldn't need your metformin. You should be lean enough, insulin sensitive enough with your diet and your training that you don't need it. If you're if 95% of people, if you're using it and you have to, will come off. And I've mm. got a couple of clients myself that I hope they're listening. <laughs> and they know. <laughs> they know because I've told them and they know anyway. But you can you can get if you're in that small small group 
Um, you're the only one. That's the group that doesn't have. They don't have to make excuses. The rest of us were kind of making excuses if you're using it. Go. Yeah. Little uh, reassurance there for you, Andrew. <laughs> ah, nice. Shoots and letters fan out there. Um, <laughs> all right. So post show cravings, controlling the urge to eat everything uh, and the potential harm that it can cause. I agree. <laughs> it really wasn't. It was more of a statement than anything, but I know what he's getting at. I'm just having fun with it. Uh, Post-show cravings controlling the urge. I mean, how? I guess what he's asking is how do you control the urge? You need to build back your – you build into your off-season diet as effectively as possible to control the cravings. But the potential harm it can cause, I mean, you, know, you can have blood sugar issues. I, there were times where I had narcoleptic seizures after a show in 03. I'd be, I was – the last straw was when I was talking to my boss, working with kids in a re residential treatment setting, and there was plenty of chaos going around, and I literally just conked out while she was oh, talking God. to me. So nice Damn. supervision over that, and I agreed <laughs> to go talk to the talk to a doctor. But it, you can have some things that come out because it was that was the only time that ever happened, and I was competing quite frequently at that time. But for whatever reason, and I know that it, because it was post shows a week or two after that it was in some way related. There's a lot of shit that can go on post show. Your immune in the shitter. Um, I mean, you can get everything from shingles. I have PHN from shingles from 2004. As not asthma, um, bronch. What am I looking for? Bronch bronchitis, things like mm. that. Your body is beat up at that point, so you need to transition. Uh, first, you need to rest. You need not be training the next day. At, uh, they're the next week, and now I see I'm trying to rush, <laughs> and I'm a little scattered. We're good. We but bought time. We bought a lot time of hard. on that forming question. Okay. We're good. There you go. Andrew, take it away. Well, okay, so I think he's talking. I know I know him. Um, I actually do his training, and uh, Justin Randall uh, coaches him. He just did really well at his men's physique show. Nice. But post-show, I, tr I try to prep clients uh, before the show, meaning like, okay, you know, we're still focused on the show, but I just want to have a little discussion about the post-show phase, especially for first-time competitors. Like, you're going to go crazy mentally. You're going to want to eat everything you can, but we need to show some semblance of the same discipline we had leading up to the, the, the contest afterwards because, and you're going to thank me for it. If you follow it to a T, you know, eight, 10 weeks later, because you know, let's say you got a girl, you know, you can describe to them like, look, if you're a girl and you put on 25 pounds in the two weeks after a show, it's going to devastate you and you mm -hmm. are going to be so upset with yourself. You're going to be defeated. And it's not like we can just diet you back down in four weeks and everything's hunky dory. If you're a guy and you do it and you put on 25, 30 pounds in two weeks after a show, he goes and has a laugh with it with his buddies. And then mm -hmm. he just says, I got fat. And it's like, whatever. And he deals with it. It doesn't have the same me uh, negative mental um, connotations as it does for a female. That, that's just from experience. Um, mm -hmm. So I try to like prep them before I'm like, look, you know, the day of the show is a very big um, event for you because you're getting on stage, you know, pretty much half naked to get judged by other people. The minute you get off stage, you will always forever see yourself as fat from that point. If you got into good contest shape and you got to understand that part of the process is, yes, you will be accumulating a little bit of body fat. But if we do it the right way, you know, eight, 12 weeks later, we're going to have your calories almost to where you were when you started your prep. But you're going to have less than half that fat you did than when we started the prep. So I'm like, just mm -hmm. I, I try to get them to buy into that system. Like, listen, like mm -hmm. we're, we're going to we're going to be feeding you. You're going to get a free meal once a week. Absolutely. Yeah. But buy into the system and I guarantee you're going to feel better about it. You're going to thank me for it. And, and you're going to enjoy more freedom going forward from that point afterwards. 
And a lot of people do, and, and some people don't, unfortunately. I think we all have clients that just fall off the wagon, and two weeks later they're up, you know, 20, 30 pounds, and it's like, shit, now we got a lot of work to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and I think it comes down to a discipline issue. Do you think? Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry. Absolutely. Well, I was just going to say the reality of it. I think that all three of us, I can't imagine that that there hasn't been a point where we haven't done this ourselves. You know, I've done it. I, you know, first show I gained 40 pounds in like 13 days. Yeah. And you know, you high fived your friends and they high fived <laughs> you because that's how guys work. It was a big joke, you know, yeah. but I've never done uh -huh. it since. Yeah. You know, never done yep. sense. While you and your friends are laughing, your kidneys are like, fuck you. <laughs> I think it's harder to maintain post-show than it is to actually diet in. Because when you're starving into the show, you've got that thing to focus on. And there's the pressure of like, shit, I got to get on stage. I can't go mm -hmm. out and screw up. But there's, you know, even if you have a coach, there's less eyes on you less accountability and the show's already over Absolutely. and you now your insulin it is getting spiked so you go out and have that cheat meal and yeah i think it could be a lot tougher for some people well let me throw in one more uh situation go ahead andrew i was gonna say do you guys have a plan for um athletes like after the show like like i'll just give you an example like so i tell clients if, if they're done for the season definitely go out and do what you want on saturday night sunday let's do two or three clean meals and two or three dirty meals of your choice and then monday i want to go right back to our contest prep diet probably what we were doing the previous monday same cardio maybe cut down a little bit but by thursday or friday i want you back to that pre um you know wednesday thursday weight that you were before the show and that's when we start your off season or, or your you know your post show phase or whatever the heck you want to call it i want to start with a clean slate once we get the water back off once you know the sodium and the, and the potassium are both um regulated and in balance again um i want to i want to start from a clean slate it's probably you know usually starting that thursday or friday after the show once they've had a little fun got another system got back home back to reality back to the schedule that kind of thing yeah, I have a similar approach as well. I usually tell them, and it depends on the client, because as I stated earlier, I think a lot of this has to do with discipline. Your veteran competitors typically don't go crazy after the show, but the first timers, they tend to as well. And another one, too, that I want to throw in here before I forget is the people who have, I remember, you know, when the kids were young and stuff like that, I know that I struggled with it a little bit more because I felt guilty for kind of not being able to go out and not do stuff. So there was a little bit of like, I owe them this, but at the same time, I try to keep some parameters around it. So what I do with my clients is I tell them if they have the discipline to be able to just eat what they want, but focus on portion size, not stuffing themselves and not being miserable. Hey, I can get this in too. If they can do that for two or three days and not train, I don't let them train. I chastise them if they want to go back in. And I tell them, if you absolutely have to go in, wait till Wednesday or Thursday and just go in and fuck off and talk with people and get a pump and show off that you, you know, you're still relatively lean, but have fun. Don't start burying weights and get under the squat bar and shit like that. So I will typically start to bring them back around on a Wednesday or Thursday to their diet and then we'll lock into the diet and they'll go another week and a half, two weeks of just being real solid, pulling the water off because a lot of the, though not all of it, but a lot of the water or a lot of the gain, the, let me try it again. A lot of the weight that is gained will come off because it'll be water weight. 
for the first few, you know, three, four, five days. Once you keep going and if you have yourself convinced it's water and you go a week, you're going to be pretty disappointed because, and I've heard it, well, I still got to drop some water. Bitch, it's been two weeks. You ain't dropping any more water. (laughs) You've got yourself old. You're just fat now. I don't, I don't say that, but all right. I don't have to because they know it. (laughs) We, uh, we covered the blood and the sweat. And now is the part of the show where we get demonetized on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Bridging anabolics from first show to next show. The next show is going to be in six weeks. Oof. What's the client's risk factor? Like, you know, what's the client's age risk risk factor? You know, because some people are like, look, you know, they're in their young twenties, and they're like, I'm good. You know, like, give it to me. You take that into account, I think, or at least I do, uh, versus the guy who's 40, who's mm. got a family, kids, people that depend on him. He's not ever going to get on the Olympia stage, but he wants to do better for his next show. Um, in that situation, I would probably pull the orals out um, until maybe two weeks out and then for the next show. And I would probably pull the T, the, 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 or the trend, sorry, um, until – two weeks out again, probably in, in this situation. That uh, the six weeks, that's kind of my, it's like a, I know it's right yeah. there. It's like, if it's yeah. longer than I want, if it's shorter than no, but I would like to think it depends on the situation. There's a lot of factors here, but up to six weeks, I don't typically change anything for the first show. So here's what I would do. I would approach the start of the prep as, okay, we'll go a couple, two or three weeks longer for prep, but we're going to prep for the show that in this guy's case would be six weeks later, like the, the last show. So all of his gear for the first show would remain the same. And because typically that's not always, but typically it's a qualifier. And I don't want to say that you should ever stand on stage less than 100%. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is we don't have to pull out every stop for the first show yeah, unless it's absolutely mandatory uh, to do that. So I might not change much of anything for the first show, and I would just start the prep focused on, from a gear standpoint, that last show that he says he has in six weeks. So I might not change anything. Once you're getting past six weeks though, that six weeks is really kind of the cutoff. Then you have to start calculating. It gets a little, a little tricky, not only with the antibiotics, but you know, if you're using clenbuterol and you know, other things in there too, you have to try to balance it out and you can't just drive someone into the ground. And a lot of trainers do, and I could go on about this for a long time, but um, they become a little bit selfish because God forbid that they think about their client's health before what their client is going to look like on stage and make the adjust adjustments that they need to make. Plus uh, in fairness, maybe there are a lot of trainers who really don't know, hmm. you know, that you can take compounds out for three or four weeks. Blood levels are going to still, you know, have to taper down and they're not going to be all that low for, you know, three, four weeks anyway, but they will give the break much like Andrew is saying, especially with orals they'll give the system a break as far as, you know, the, the, your organs and things like that. Yeah. That's yeah. where the experience comes into play. And it, it can really, uh, even if you can get by with the conditioning, you've been great. It, it can save your health to have someone who's experienced in something like that. And I think knowing well, you're going to do that second oh, show ahead of time is 
is important too. Because I've had it happen yeah, where, absolutely. you know, somebody does the show and they're like, hey, now I want to do another one. And sometimes if yeah. you already did put all those eggs in that one basket, that's where six weeks might be too too long. Well, last year you was know. a good example. Oh, like, yeah. COVID was a good example because shows were getting drawn out. I mean, I did it myself and I started to get a little concerned and bizarre. It was kind of bizarre, but my blood work was actually really fucking good. I even impressed the doctor in the ER. He was just blown away because he's horrible. And I'm like, really? Me too. So it's good. <laughs> I think I'm good to go. Uh, but a situation like last year really drew out preps for a long time. People were on longer than they normally do. But um, there's a, it, Andrew makes a good point. The age, how long you've been on, you know, how strong your cycles are in the off season and things like that. There's a, there's a lot of variables there. There's always a lot of variables, right? I mean, that's the hard part about answering the question. Not a question, but a statement. Life after bodybuilding, I can't imagine eating like a regular person again. You just yeah. throwing it out there. What is life after? Uh, life after bodybuilding is heaven, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely looking forward to not eating six meals a day. Like, I'm going to be happy eating like four meals a day. Still clean, like, you know, yeah. protein good clean vegetables carbs you know fruits and stuff like that but that's still like three more meals than a normal person though <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly I'm, well, I'm never gonna be like a normal person that you know has a cup of coffee for breakfast a bag yeah. of doritos for lunch and no nah, like you know i like good clean natural food yeah, take, like take your cheap shots you for me take your cheap shots yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> i got you i got you well, well, let me ask you this: yeah. have, has, have you have your guys's appetites gone down considerably from when you're in your twenties? Um, like you can when you I'm can off leave, for a while, I'm saying your appetite. May you know? I don't know that mine has. In the last few years, it's been better than it's been in a long time. But maybe looking over the years. No, I'm eating more. I've been eating more food for the last eight, ten years than I ate in in my 20s i didn't weigh what i weighed when i was in my 20s but mm. keep in mind i mean i'm one of those guys that I, from a mindset i'm still i'm all in and have been for ever ever and ever hallelujah so that's why when they ask a question like that i think of the dorians and the dave palumbos and i think how i understand you were at a high level that i'll never reach so maybe that's the difference but how do you turn it off I, I made the joke about heaven, but I was speaking literally like my life after bodybuilding. I'm just being completely honest. It'll be when I'm fucking dead. I will do this yeah. until I'm done. I, I, I mean, some people would say, well, you don't know because, well, I kind of do because I've raised kids and I've empty nested. I've gone through so much throughout that there's been nothing yet that has made me want to come away from it. So outside of my legs being ripped off. I was still training my upper body. Um, you know what, you know, Pierce Santa, I say his name, Pierce Santa, he's blind. He's still competing. He just won the Michigan yeah, state championships. Joe. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm sorry to, I don't want to go off on tangent, but you know, his coach passed away only two days after the show, oh, no which was horrible. Saxton. Yeah. Daniel oh, Saxton. Wow. Yeah. Do I have his I, name right? I hope I got his name right. Yeah, Cause I don't, I, I don't know the guy. I didn't know him that well. Yeah. He did. It's just horrible. Yeah. That's terrible. But I mean, when you have people like that who are continuing to do it, I mean, shit, I can't, I can't pull away from it. I go have a knee problem and I can't train for, you know, a couple months and I'm 
clawing the walls, you know, wondering what I'm going to do. I can't wait to get back in the gym. So I don't know what that would feel like. Shout out to uh, Tracy here. <clears throat> Can you talk about labor intensive uh, 12 hour shifts, physical kind of, uh, excuse me. Can you all talk about how a labor intensive 12 hour shift physical job kind of guy should train? I think the last podcast we covered this one really a bit, well. didn't we? Um, we had a we had a question about a guy that was expending based on his Fitbit right. five to six thousand calories a day. So I would definitely mm -hmm. listen to that one if you haven't already. But I mean, I guess just to summarize, um, you know, I think you definitely got to tailor your training to the fact that you're working intensive twelve hour days, whether it's construction, landscaping, or whatever it is. You're you're physically moving your muscles and burning calories, um, so your tank is going to be probably a little more empty than someone that sits on a couch or sits on a desk all day. Um, so I would just take that into account and, and really, really, really monitor your recovery. You know, whether it's training, you know, one day on two to three days off, even, um, I don't even think that would be that crazy of an idea training three days a week or even, you know, like I said, one day, every, every th out of every three or four. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, one, just a real quick add on or addendum to that is, it depends too if he just started that he's not used to that type of work and his body is like, Oh my God, versus he's done it for the last five years too. So you have to take that into consideration. And if you're used to that type of physical labor, I mean, if I went out and I had to do that, I'd be fucking dying in, in two weeks. He may be accustomed to it and he may not have as much of an issue adding or, you know, training on top of that. Skip, will you read this one? I need to go uh, grab yeah. some food really quick. I'll be right back. I don't have Facebook, but do have a legitimate question. Is it beneficial to switch from DC training to a more specific powerlifting block? I'm assuming PL, right? For squat and bench as a female bodybuilder looking to grow for figure, considering a longer off season with the goal of maybe competing in one to two meets, or would this not be a realistic focus for growth? Take it, Andrew. This is that. So this is my client, Alyssa, actually, and she trains really, really hard um, despite having a couple autoimmune diseases. We've actually had to uh, pull out of several preps because it, she's trained herself into the hospital um, to where oh, she's shit. admitted okay. for like week, weeks at a time. Um, and the crazy thing is, I think she sent me a check in from the hospital uh, one of these times and she was still lean enough. And I, was, I think I joked. I was like. You know, do you got your suit? I think you can make it over to the show in time. You'd probably, I think you'd win your class. I mean, <laughs> she, she was peeled. Damn. <laughs> but um, but she knows how to train. She knows how to train hard, um, which I think is important, especially if you've been doing DC. Um, I let's see. I just want to make sure I'm reading the question. I, I think for you, Alyssa, I think you know what you're doing is great, and I think you could literally switch to like an eight or ten week powerlifting block to prepare for those you know, two or three lifts that you're going to do in powerlifting and probably put up some of your biggest numbers. You, I, I know from, from, from watching her, she's built a great base with her squat, her, her bench press. Um, I don't think she pulls at all, but um, yeah, I think she could absolutely do this. And I, I don't know if the powerlifting would necessarily be as conducive for growth, but in this short uh, time of frame or time frame of just going to compete for a meet and get some great numbers on, on, on tape, um, I don't think it would hold you back long term. Yeah, and I, I have to agree with that. It also depends, too, if it's if the powerlifting block for squat and bench is something that she's not familiar with, it's a different stimulus, then 
different stimulus typically means yeah, growth. So yeah, and and if she does have a long off season, um, I can't see. Let's put it this way: I can't see it hindering her development. But I would agree that a you know hypertrophy based program might be a little more beneficial. But if she's got a long off season, she's not going to lose anything from it yeah. and if she does pick yeah. up some some strength in those two movements and carries that over into more of a hypertrophy or hypertrophy i said hypertrophy for years so Hy- i still get stuck on it sometimes <laughs> hypertrophy i have focused on the trophy hypertrophy uh but hypertrophy then it would be a probably a pretty good carryover so yeah look at that he scott's like gone and we the- answered the question for us. <laughs> no i like what you said about the, the different about stimulus I, I, yeah, I like what you said about the different stimulus. Actually, might be even conducive to some new growth. So, I, actually, I think you yep. hit the, the nail on the head there. Absolutely. Yep. Next question. We didn't get Scott. to talk about you while you were gone. God I can't damn. make it through the show without going hypo. You notice that? Oh, you were yeah, going hypo. A little bit. Yeah. Damn. Yep. Yeah, there is a. Is there ever a place for hit cardio in a contest prep? Perhaps when you stall. Uh, my answer would would be you have to use an m dash instead of a semicolon because it's not its own separate <laughs> sentence. No, um, that's that's just me being a dick. Ah. Uh, there is a place. I just don't like hit cardio. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of it. I think. That some, well, I would say that most people, I think it's just too, I don't, I just don't think it's as, as good. I, I think it's too difficult on the CNS. I think it can get too difficult. Uh, it can get in the way of leg recovery, lower body recovery, things like that. It does depend on frequency. It does depend on duration, things like that. I just, I admit openly, I'm not a huge fan of it versus lists or miss cardio shit i'm probably more uh, an advocate of no cardio these days or as little cardio as possible because i hate the shit and i think it's overrated do you hear my cat playing behind me because it's driving me nuts he decides he wants yeah. to play so if you hear it, i'm sorry all right we, we've got time for just a few more um so jeff riley had asked us what was the best growth phase you had throughout your careers what stuck out about this year compared to others that's another one of my clients Jeff. Oh, he's good, man. oh jeff's your client he listens to a bunch of our shows yeah. shout out to him yeah he's, he's an awesome guy um my best growth phase there's been several but i think one that really stood out was when i hired dante back in like 2000 I can't remember what year it was. And um, he took my training from like five or six days a week down to three days a week doing the very basic DC program um, through shit tons of food at me. We didn't even measure anything. And I went from like a 225 fairly sloppy to like a 265 not as sloppy. So I wasn't in shape or peeled or lean or anything like that. Um, to be fair, it was also – one of the first times I had learned how to cycle properly um, and had actually put together a cycle and followed through with it. Uh, but I absolutely think just having, I was also single at the time. I, re- I was recently broken up. So that was something where I literally just had all my time to eat meals, pound slag iron, as he liked to say, and mm-hmm. uh, recover. 
I mean, I probably slept like I was, I was personal training and I worked maybe like from five to 10 in the morning. I'd go home and I'd sleep for two or three hours and then train and then train a few more clients afterwards and get to bed by nine or 10. So I was getting like probably 13 hours of sleep in a 24 hour period, training three days a week, eating. Uh, that was probably my best growth phase. I touched on mine earlier. It was roughly 2003, four and five. And that's, Ironically, it's another Dante phase <laughs> because I was <laughs> that, doing that was my version. Yeah, I was doing my version of DC training. I mean, it started off as his version and I had to tweak it to make it fit, you know, me and what I felt worked. And I would say second to that, though, I over the last couple of years, I have made more progress, I think. Not as much progress as I made then and I was younger then. Uh, but I've made some really good progress uh, right up until the last couple of injuries about 10 months ago. So that's what stands out for me. It wasn't DC training that I was doing recently. It was actually more volume, um, but just everything just fit together so much better. My nutrition was better. I was feeding myself more than I had ever fed myself before. And I think that helped quite a bit. What about you, Scott? I think this past run that I just had, I learned the most from. Um, up until I got sick <clears throat> and, and I'm confident I'm pulling it back together. By the way, I started taking a new medication called Singular and, uh, it, it's, it's, um, anti-inflammatory for your lungs. I'm taking the oral version. Andrew and I were talking a little bit about it before the show, but I got my first pump today, like my first pump since February 17th. So I think I'm on the road back to something, but, um, so maybe 2000 and, 13, I think it was, I had gotten to 230, you know, decently, decently lean, not, you know, overly fat. And that was a pretty good push for me. And, uh, you know, I know there's a lot of guys who've been a lot bigger than, than me. Uh, and, 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 you know, this, let's see, I'm about five, six, five, seven, five, seven, I think, I think five, actually, I can't even remember anymore. <laughs> I'm either five six or five seven, but he's five three. Whatever the case, say, say five six. It sounds more impressive. Five six sounds. More impressive. <laughs> exactly. I'm like five four and uh, in, in bodybuilding. Five four in bodybuilding. Yeah, that's that's something else when you're two thirty. Then you know, but uh, you know, um, when I had gotten to two thirty, my my contest was in the the upper one nineties, so it wasn't all muscle. You know, it wasn't like pure muscle. And, um, I got to 230 again this past year. Now, previously, I feel like I did everything wrong. I used more drugs. I pushed everything I possibly could with food, including like carbohydrate shakes from maltodextrin and shit. And I screwed up my stomach. Like I said, the, the, the drugs were higher this past year. Um, I got to 230 again, but I was comfortable. Uh, I, I still, I used a CPAP for both of these phases, but it, like my sleep wasn't affected. If that makes any sense, this past time hitting two thirty, I was comfortable with it. I wasn't out of breath walking up the stairs. Whereas previously I was out of breath. It was hard for me. And, um, that was, so I was one ninety five a year before I started that push. And then I hit two thirty, and it, I just felt like myself. And it really, the difference was it came down to the training. It came down to everything we've been talking about today on this podcast, like the progressive overload. It really made a difference. And I was pretty confident I'd hit, you know, two, 240. Well, that was, that was going to be my goal. Also, I'll tell you this, even though I got sick, 
and I dropped down to 187 pounds. I lost basically, you know, 40 pounds on the scale. A lot, you know, some of that was water. I came back up to like 190, and then I was able to start, you know, rebuilding. Um, I got back up to like 210 or so, and I'm holding it 210 now. Like, like, actually, I'm back up to like 215. But I mean, I'd been holding 210 easily, I should say. So I feel like it was, it was a lot easier for me to hold more size after that push. Like, I think I grew a lot of muscle in this past year. So I, I kind of rambled right now for probably about four and a half minutes straight. But my point is, is that it's the fucking training. And that's the reason that I'm so adamant about that with our podcast. And we've been talking so much about progressive overload because I, I, if, if I would have used the amount of gear that I had, like on that previous push with the training that I'm doing now, I know I would have even done better because the training was the only thing that was like the big, big change. So I know that we, we get, we get, um, we get some negative feedback once in a while. Like we posted a show with Derek Oslin today and somebody was like, yeah, but you got to remember there's problems with progressive overload too. It's not perfect. You know, it's like people want to, people want to talk down about it or you, we have this guy, uh, I can't remember his name. It's like, um, old school bodybuilding he's called on YouTube he fucking hates hit training everything about it he's like hit trainers are all small I'm gonna tell you I don't care you guys are wrong progressive overload is the key so that's my answer to that <laughs> sorry I'm not as big on it as you are but nonetheless I don't think that it's yep, yeah, but I- that it doesn't work that's right. You don't. Well, but but I think not I mean what I <laughs> well I think what I said earlier, guys, about you know your progressive overload doesn't necessarily just mean more weight on the bar. I mean I think we right. always go to the gym yeah. to progress in some way. I mean it's bodybuilding at the end of the day, right? Yeah. And whatever it is that gets you to build from point A to point B, whether it's a pound or five pounds or ten pounds more over the course of whatever time frame, that's progressive. That's progressive. Whether mm-hmm. whether you listen more weight. You did more uh, more reps with the same weight. You added more volume, um, uh, in, with the same intensity. Whatever those factors are, you're progressing. So, right. you know, and, and the, the point that guy said that progressive overload people or, or hit trainers are small. Like, what is he talking about? Like, does he know? Yeah. Like, does he go on YouTube or Instagram or <laughs> you know? I mean, I don't know. That, that's just a stupid. That's just a stupid statement. Maybe he's just trying to. He's yeah. trying to get you to talk about him. Is what he was trying to do, actually. I think so. And it worked. <laughs> we got one from Matt Marshall, and then we've got two that you guys had posted in the live feed. Um, what is something you believe that runs counter than what most coaches believe? Skip, you probably got like ten of these. God, off the top of my head. Um, uh, ooh, this is a tough one. I, I would have rather been able to prepare for this one. Uh, counter to what other coaches believe. Uh, I, You know, the only thing that pops into my head, at least right off the top of my head, is, you know, obviously I'm big on very large refeeds. I don't know that – and I want to I want to make sure that I'm clear that running counter is – that it doesn't work. I'm just – I'm speaking of my method, and my method is typically more dramatic or more – more like more refeeding than most coaches will do. So obviously I believe that, you know, loading big is better than, you know, a a cheat meal or something else, but there are those people that can't do that and you have to make those changes too. So that's the first thing that, 
that comes to mind because I can't think of anything else. While Andrew's talking, I'll see if I can come uh, up with something else. <laughs> I know, right? Well, I don't love the question because if if I don't understand something, but it's working, why would I disagree with it? You know what I mean? Right, like, exactly. Maybe, mm. may, maybe I don't understand. Well, I guess what it I'm also pits question, trainers I, against each other too. <laughs> yeah, because well, here's the thing: there's a lot of great coaches out there, and they might have a slightly different process or a completely different process from how we do things. But if it Absolutely. works, it works. So there's mm-hmm. nothing I can say against it. Um, yeah. So I guess he, I guess someone would have to come up with specific examples of something and say, "Do you agree with this or not?" And of right. course, we'd always go back to, "Well, it depends, right? It depends got, on the variables." I got something. Mm-hmm. How about this? So it's something I do that I think a lot of people don't do, but I'm not the only one who does it. I know I know several coaches that do this, and I learned it from Dave Palumbo. So, you know, obviously I'm not alone if I learned it from Dave. I'm sure a thousand people who have been coached by Dave do this too. I don't run Clen for short periods of time. I'll start with uh, Dave back in the day would start with 40 and then every two weeks he would add 20. I will go as low as start 20 and then I add 20 and then I add 20. I might not go every two weeks. I might even go longer. I, uh, I, I'll use it as as a way to make a change. And, uh, you know, I usually will cap it at around 100, maybe 120 is the highest that I've gone, really. I know people will go higher than that. But, you know, you could always take a break from it and pick it back up again later. But I've seen it continue to work that way. I think that with Clen, um, oh, yeah. you know, the the the, uh, the side effects, I think, are often related to the dose you're taking when you take like when you just take 120 micrograms out the gate you know guys who take 50 one day then 75 the next then 100 the next and they're they're getting a terrible tremor it doesn't happen like that and i found that like my my resting heart rate stays lower uh i get less side effects if i take 20 and then i slowly taper it up and i know a ton of people basically if you look up how to use clen online I don't ever see that being listed that way. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't. Yeah. (laughs) And I I don't think it's necessarily wrong, but I don't do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about you, how you, how you would run it, Skip. And you, you go more cyclical. You go what, three weeks? Typically it's three weeks with one to two off. It just depends. Sometimes it's four and then one or two, but it, it just depends. I, I don't make it as black and white. I think as most people do. Again, it just depends on how that client is responding. And the same with dose. I am not big on uh, high dosing clen because I think that the initially the first couple weeks are the most effective and those are the lower doses. You actually, I still do subscribe to the fact that the dosage has to go up because the effectiveness comes down, but you're doing something similar as well. You're just doing it long term. Yeah. So to add to that, I kind of do both. I'll do the cyclical thing. If I think a client needs it further out, I'll do the cyclical thing, cyclical thing. And then maybe at like four weeks out, I'll do what you're talking about, Scott and taper, um, okay. taper up. I, yeah. I'll use it as like, um, it, it, you know, maybe 
and maybe it's even longer sometimes. Maybe it's, you know, not 14 days, but, you know, 20 days yeah. or something like that where we're like, hey, things are going good. You're still losing fat. I was going to increase the clen, but let's leave it where we are. And then, you know, five days later, we check in again and it's like, OK, yeah, now let's pull the trigger on that. Now we can use that change type thing. I still have different thoughts on cardio, though. I won't dig into it, you know, too much, but I do take a different stance on cardio than a lot of coaches. The more I think about it, I don't like to rely on it. I want my clients to do and myself as little as possible to get the effect that they need. And and I know there are other coaches. And again, I'm not I'm I'm trying to be very careful and say, you know, much like Andrew was saying, there are different ways. And the end result is is what matters. If it's effective and they're a good coach and they have good results, then there's no sense questioning that. Um, but I am not big on, I'm not big on car, nowhere near as big as I was, you know, years ago. We got two from the live feed here. Do you guys have any experience coaching a team for a contest? Any advice or tips? I'm currently helping a 16 year old who wants to compete for the first time in 2022? Uh, are people going to think I am some sort of creep or pedo uh, helping someone with their body so young? I love that she went yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not until you mentioned it, Paige. <laughs> yeah, it was a little weird you mentioned it because my mind didn't go there one bit. I just saw it as well because I've had younger, I've had teenagers, male and female, and there's nothing weird about it at all. If they're you know younger, I might say, "Hey, I'm gonna key your parents in on a few of these emails yeah. first, so they understand what we're talking about in the dialogue. Um, we're not gonna do PEDs, obviously. Um, that's out of the question, but." Um, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it's wrong at all, or I don't think, I, I guess in terms of tips or, or whatnot, um, I, you know, be the parents in on what you're doing and, and that, you know, I might be putting your kid through what seems like hell at times. They might be doing cardio, they might be a little grouchy, they might be, you know, not eating a lot of food. So I'd also have that conversation with the kid of like, hey, this is going to be the hardest thing you've done to your life unless you've been from some war-torn country as an immigrant or something like that. Like, yeah. No, I mean, I'm serious. Like, most yeah. kids today, yeah. they live a pretty easy life. They play sports. They go play video games. They hang out with friends, whatever. But, yeah, this is going to be the hardest thing you ever do. And and I need you to know day one. I needed to hear you say you're going to commit to it and, and you're going to follow through. Um, and then I would treat them no differently, really. I mean, I would have them check in the same and I would push them the same way. Their body can handle a little bit more of a beating than someone that's, say, 40, 45, probably. Um, sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that, that's I, I wouldn't treat them differently at all. Yeah, I think that's where I fall. I've had a couple of clients for collegiate or I'm sorry, teenage nationals, which is at collegiate masters. And the only thing that I won't do is I tell them I will not advise on gear. Yeah. I can't because that's your bro. You're still living at home and I know you got a chance to kill it and everything else, but I can't do that. That's a that I'm a parent and I. I would be livid if my son, well, first I'd be livid if my son went to somebody else to prep him for a show. So there's that. <laughs> so if my son ever calls you, Andrew, or you, Scott, and wants to prep you, you need to do the right thing and turn him away. <laughs> but yeah, you can't you advise him. You gave him permission. Yeah, exactly. 
you have the signed <laughs> affidavit right there yeah. with my name in yeah. crayon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it, outside of the gear, I don't. I don't think it is any different. I do have to make an an inappropriate comment in the sense that if it is a sixteen year old boy, he's gonna love that prep. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, she she. I can't see very well even because it was so small. But she's in good shape and she's older. That sixteen year old kid is gonna be love and that that yeah. you know personal relationship. He's there gonna do whatever she says. That's true. Yeah, That's yeah true. It, that is very, very true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't see anything else outside of the gear. I can't think of anything else. Of, I like your idea, though, of checking in with the parents. I did not do that for the couple of clients I had. Um, I forgot the impression that I needed to because there was nothing there that really stood out that I needed. Well, and, and in their defense, I, they were older teens. They were like 18 or 19 because they both did well at teen, teen nationals. Yeah. So God, it's been stuff, so long. Right? I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, Those kind of. They're still teens technically, but they certainly weren't sixteen. I haven't worked with anybody I, that I can think of online that was sixteen years old that I'm aware of. Maybe they lied well, to I, me. I don't know. I have a full. I do like a full waiver thing, like for any client. But like, if it is an underage person, then their parent has to sign it as well. Just yeah, yeah. you know, and it and it says exactly what to expect from me and exactly what I expect from them, so that there's just no, you know, vagaries or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. I don't think that's a word. But. Ambiguity. Go with that. There you go. I worked <laughs> yeah. with a better, girl better who was 17 and she was local and the it, and she was uh I was recommended to her by one of her friends and uh like I had helped a bunch of people that were kind of like in her extended circle, but she wasn't from my part of town or anything like that, so I never met her, never saw her at the gym or anything. And uh, when we first met, I wanted to train with her, evaluate what she was doing. She was getting ready for a bikini show. And her mom, she was like, hey, we, were, we set it up. And she was like, hey, do you mind if, if my mom comes with me? And I was like, oh, and I didn't even think about it until then. But then I was like, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Bring your mom. In fact, have her with you the whole time. You know what I mean? And it was yeah. cool and everything. But I'm glad that we were able to get off on that foot. But I, I think, yeah, especially I think it would. It, I think especially like us being guys, if it was, I don't know, maybe it's a social thing, but like us being guys, it almost seems more predatory with a younger female versus Paige being the older woman with the, it's almost like the whole thing. And I, I'm probably going to, I'm just like, keep talking and say some stupid shit now, but the whole thing of like, <laughs> I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> you know where know I'm going with say. this. And the I, teacher and, and student. With you. Yeah. It's not the same. Yeah. It is yeah, not yeah. the same if it's a guy to the younger girl versus the guy has to be interested. There's something that tells him he's interested, if you know what I mean. And I don't see that as predatory as I do the other way. I don't care if it's a double standard. There's many others that exist in the world, but I just don't see it the same way. <laughs> we um, went there. We the went other thing there. I was going to say is all, all you guys did some, do personal training. Have you guys ever personal trained kids in a gym setting? Like regu- no. like somewhat regularly? Uh, okay, so, I, so I came times, from a yeah. personal so I came from a personal training background where it was not a big deal to have some high school kids, male or female. Yeah. Sometimes sure. parents were trained with them. So like, I guess it just wasn't a big deal for me in any sense of the word. And just be a professional. Like, yeah. just don't be weird. You know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Paige, don't be fucking weird. Yeah. Those, those check-in <laughs> pictures should probably be appropriate. I don't know if you're still watching right now. Oh, Jeff. Uh, Jeff probably not. Yeah. No, I think we, uh, I think we covered a question <laughs> and we covered a bunch of other questions and we we really don't have enough time to do any more. So 
We didn't get to everybody. We didn't get to everybody, but there's that. It's, it's it. my fault. I it's all right, it. Skip. It's all right, man. <laughs> it was my fault for not giving you the yeah. sooner. Be like, you got to bring that back. Got to bring it back. I wanted to like do a joke and like be like, hey, Skip, what do you think? And then let you talk for like three seconds and then hit it. <laughs> <laughs> but I missed out on that. Anyway, Skip, you what's going on with you, man? What's your training going on like? What's happening, man? Uh, the training is good. Yeah. I've got, I'm one weekend now, so I feel a lot better. Yeah, I'm sore as shit, but I'm better in my head. So things are going well, and, you know, I'm missing the Doritos. My face is missing <laughs> the Doritos a little bit, but it'll take a little while, but things are good. My knee felt better this week, and it's just a week. Well, it's a day-to-day thing, but it's a week-to-week thing, but I'm just really glad to be back. So I feel good. We'll see how it goes. Is, is, is there a plan for the year? Paige was still watching. <laughs> Honestly, my plan. I know. I see that. I swear I won't make it weird. Damn. No um, yeah, there, plan? there is a plan, but it's week to week. It's week to week. I mean, right now, I, I just don't want to look too far down the pike. I mean, the leg training is laughable. It's hmm. ridiculous. I mean, I couldn't even do the leg extension carriage without it bothering my knee, but yet I would go and do other stuff and it was fine. So I'm, I'm kind of in that phase now for the next week or two where I have to find the movements that feel good and then build the stability. And I do think it'll come back quick. I mean, those muscles haven't been used, so we'll see how it goes, but I I feel pretty good about it. I'm excited. We got one more question here. What's everybody's favorite pistol brand? The one I've got. I'll go, the one I have access to. Yeah, I go Glock. I'll go I'm a Kimber Glock. guy. I was told that people make fun of Kimber guys, Skip. They do. Yeah. Well, that you, S2H told you that. So anything I actually, have, he was going to give me a hard time for. <laughs> he said that, but I've actually heard that now from someone else. Someone who watches you know, the is show. Is it because it's a higher end uh, handgun, or is it just because it's not? I, I've never heard that Kimber is not. Good I mean, they're, they're very expensive from what I've seen. I've seen like all the Kimbers I've seen, they look really cool. Like the stylization of them looks cool and they're not cheap guns. Are they? They're like, no uh, top shelf. No, not at all. Yeah. yeah. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know enough about that stuff, but somebody else, when I set up my, my Glock 43 X, he was like, it was actually my client. He watches the show. He was like, and then, you know, you can be a lot cooler than Skip with his Kimber. Yeah. That's what he said to me. Well, Glocks, I mean, Glocks are the the tried and true. You know, you can drop them in mud. Yeah. You can do damn near anything with them, and, and they're going to work great. I, I don't deny that. My thing is, is I don't like that there aren't added safety components. You know, mm. the... I, you know, I've had a car. I carried a car PM9 for a while and all that. The only safety feature on that is that it's a long trigger pull. So it's it's just a safety uh, safety thing for me probably because i had kids and things like that i do i like that i know some people don't and that's fine but to have a glock sitting around with kids i just i never felt very comfortable with that that's something that you pick up i mean a trigger you know a trigger safety is not very much of a safety yeah not really safety at all yeah exactly yeah i don't have to put my guns away i don't have kids you know so that's right that's different that makes sense all right we'll get out of here i appreciate you guys appreciate your insight i mean it uh it, it's pretty freaking phenomenal to me that we can sit here for an hour and a half and you guys can just i mean i can too just go like 
you know, it's like, I, I don't know. I've been watching, you know, speaking of guns, a lot of gun YouTube stuff, and it's all brand new to me. Whereas with bodybuilding stuff, we've thought about all of these things for decades. So somebody asked this question. We It's not like we have to research it, you know? Right. You've thought right. about this a thousand times. So it's kind of cool that we can share that. And I'm glad that we can share that with the bodybuilding community. I hope we're helping out there. All right, we'll get out of here. Check out truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Check out Andrew Barry and Skip. Go over to teamskip.com. And, Andrew, you have a website too, don't you? Bodyberry.com. Bodyberry.com. I got I to gotta memorize that. And check out bodyberry.com for Andrew. And, uh, of course, guys, check us out on Instagram, all that. We'll see you soon. Appreciate everybody on the live feed. You guys are awesome. Oh, <laughs>